Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm a feminist, but this week, the guilty feminist appeared in The Economist, in an article about how women are excelling at podcasting. And the article mentioned Lena Dunham and Hillary Clinton. But I was the only one who got two paragraphs and a picture, and I thought, suck it up, sisters, I want feminism today. (laughs) That was not a good thought, and I immediately thought something better. I'm a feminist, but I do miss the cheaper car insurance. Do you remember when adverts on television implied that when women were alone, all we spoke about was car insurance? I love that. Every time you turn it on, it'd be like, oh, you've got a nice top, Susie. Well, I saved so much money on my car insurance. (laughs) And all the the special companies were called things like Giggly Girlies, Pink Little, Ridey Motor Car Cars. (laughs) (laughs) And you were like, oh, fuck off, but Yeah, 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 absolutely. What, 50 quid a year? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's because we have fewer accidents. I'm a feminist, but when I was watching The Handmaid's Tale, the adaptation of the dystopian novel by Margaret Atwood about a future where women's reproductive rights have become Old Testament in nature, a Hulu drama that's now looking more like year nine of the Trump administration, (laughs) I thought, I hope when this actually happens in a post-Trump, post-Brexit landscape, and we are all marshaled into homes to serve the 1%, that my commander is as handsome as Joseph Fiennes. I mean, it could be worse, is all I'm saying, Elizabeth Moss. I'm a feminist, but I have created another white middle-class male. (laughs) You've invented one. You've grown one in your body. Yeah. You've grown entitlement and privilege inside your uterus. (laughs) Haven't I? I'm so sorry. You'll coax him into being an ally, a feminist ally. At the moment, he's pretty violent. (laughs) He's only like 18 months or something, isn't he? Mm. There's time, there's time. You thought she was going to say years. He's only 18 years of age. He's a a young offender. Um, I'm a feminist, but sometimes 
I read Justin Trudeau's tweets in French. (laughs) Even though I don't really understand them and pretend they're secret messages to me. (laughs) So this is one I read earlier. Je suis impatient d'acquérir mes homologues l'an prochain dans la magnifique région de Charlevoix. Hashtag. And I thought what he meant in this secret message to me was, I am impatient to see you, my darling, and ravage you in the magnificent Canadian region of Charlevoix. Hashtag ravage Charlevoix. I'm a feminist, but I hate all photos of me where I look genuinely happy. (laughs) Because... So, uh, so I've uh, grown up enough, I'm uh, feminist enough to now not hate all photos of me. <laughs> it's not enough for you, is it? I can tell. But, because uh, I, I used to, I used to look at all photos and think, oh, you look, you fucking minger. And now, <laughs> and now I don't look at photos and think that unless no. I look genuinely happy in it, because then I think, oh, you fucking minger, and you haven't even noticed. <laughs> <laughs> I think you look very beautiful in photos. Look at you in that picture, you've forgotten you're a minger. (laughs) You look... And now they're the worst ones. No, you look very lovely in photos, I won't have it. I, on the other hand... (laughs) Shut up. Live from the Theatre Royal in Brighton, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with Deborah Francis-White and guest co-host Jessica Muscatew and very special guests Sharon Horgan and Rebecca Staten talking about motherhood. Welcome the B.I.G. Gospel Choir. Adventure who was dressed to thrill Ooh, wherever he went He said, let's make love on a mountain top Under the stars and a big hard rock I said, in these shoes? I don't think so I said, honey Let's stay right here so I'm sitting in a bar in Guadalajara And in walks a guy with a faraway look in his eye He said, I've got a powerful horse outside Jump on the back and I'll take you for a ride I know a little place we can get there by the break of dawn I said, in these shoes No, Jose. No. I said, honey, let's stay right here. Oh my gosh, you hear what she said? What's that problem? (laughs) (laughs) No, let's go. 
spine He said, won't you walk up and down my spine It makes me feel strangely alive I said, in these shoes Billy, if I walk on your back I'll kill your love I said, honey, let's do it Let's stay right here And that was like one of those really hard meetings where they were all going to be men who were going to sort of sit there passive-aggressively with their arms folded. Yeah. I honestly feel like if you just had a, like a small gospel choir, don't overdo it, three, two or three people just behind you I'd going, like, yeah. I'd like to. Sister singing. Listen to her, Chris. Don't sit there with your arms folded thinking you know more because you're a man because you don't. But fuck you, Jeff, while we're at it. Just saying, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, if I could have you introduce me just every time I get home. What, like that. to, to your husband? What, I'm not, I don't know how many times I have to go over this. I'm not married. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. <laughs> to your life partner. Yeah. Yeah. Just, what? I, you assume, I think, that I'm just far more proper than I am. No, no, there's I'm taking nothing... it as a compliment. Oh, God, I've gone into terrible territory here where it's not proper to be married. We're feminists. We can choose to be married or choose not to be married, and we all feel it's a little bit more feminist not to be married. Do it. And just stay in a sort of loose just... arrangement. Oh. <laughs> now it seems like I'm not married because I'm a feminist, but it's just because it's 10 grand. <laughs> just shout out if you listen to the podcast regularly. Feel free to stand right in front of us. <laughs> shout out if you've never heard it. Just some people have been dragged along, and that, so there were some people in the front row who did not shout out. They put their hand up, and because they don't yet know the guilty feminist way is to go, yeah, I haven't ever heard it. Have you been brought along by a friend? No, I brought a friend. You brought a friend. You've I never heard the podcast. You not just the podcast just on the radio. Well, I was on the radio. You were. Was I? I don't remember ever being on the radio talking about the guilty feminist. I mean, I have been on the radio. I'm not denying that, madam. What's your name? Pins like needles. Pins like needles. Is your name? I'm, I'm loving that. That says feminism, doesn't it? Pins like needles. <laughs> Here's my friend Chainsaw. Fuck you both. Um, so, tonight we're talking about motherhood. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's any mothers in? Uh, give me a cheer if you're not a mother. 
They sounded happier. Well, they sounded more energetic, didn't they? Yeah, they sounded like they were out to party tonight. We're in Brighton and it's a Sunday night, but we don't give a fuck. What was that? They've had more sleep. Yes. Yes, it's all right. Do you need a support group? Or that didn't sound like a heckle. That sounded like a cry for help. It didn't sound like a heckle at all. So what was your challenge, Jess? What was your okay. feminist motherhood okay, challenge? Okay, so I am fascinated by my own guilt <laughs> with motherhood. It's a thing for feminist mothers, it's isn't massive. it? Because so, you so, say, well, no, of course I should be working and that's an important part of, you know, if you want to be working. Yeah. And, you know, and you always Well, and I do it. think as well, like I do more than ever before, fully acknowledge just doing the mothering is a full-time job. So doing other things on top of that is doing more than one jobs. Mm. I have a thing where, I think especially being self-employed, where whenever I'm not with him, I have to be working. I have to be doing something that counts as work. Otherwise, I feel riddled with guilt. But I've been trying to get rid of that because it's making me mad. (laughs) Um, Because you can't live like that. But one thing I do is look at my phone way too much when I'm with him, and I don't feel like objectively I can justify that. I can pretend that it's constantly for work reasons that I'm looking at it, and it's not. And I don't want him to live in a world where, well, he's going to grow up in a world where we're all just constantly looking at screens more than each other. So I think at least for this little tiny bit while he's tiny, I need to focus on him when I'm with him. So my challenge was I tried to do a fortnight of not looking at my phone when, well, I kept changing the rules. (laughs) I I was going to do a fortnight of not looking at my phone until he was asleep at night. And then after, I think, an hour, I went, I'm going to do it when he's awake. I won't look at my phone while I'm with him when he's awake. And then he went down to one nap. Um, (laughs) No, he'd already got to one nap. And I was like, I can't, I just couldn't do it. I physically couldn't do it. It's the hardest challenge I've done for one of these. I just, couldn't, I just kept pushing. The, got to the point where I moved the rules to, I just won't look at my phone when he can see me. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's, he's one and a half. And it just meant I was just leaving him in rooms. <laughs> and I don't have one of those, like, perfect baby-proofed homes. I was just leaving him in rooms with ovens and... <laughs> Did you find just even though upping your uh, time away from the phone a little bit improved your relationship with him and your feelings of... <laughs> you know perhaps reducing guilt if you weren't there I wish it had (laughs) no well it's awful so what made me realise it's like yeah if I can go right sit down let's do a fucking jigsaw let's gonna do a fucking this is gonna be really good you're gonna enjoy this and then you've done the jigsaw beyond like one book one jigsaw it's what it's really made me realise is that hanging out with someone who's one is fucking boring (laughs) it's really it really is it is though no it is it is yeah It's so nice for short bursts, though. They're adorable. The bits of parenthood I want, I've decided, and I really want these bits a lot, that photograph you see of the couple when they've just had a baby and they're just looking at the baby in wonder and it's like a curtain's been lifted and angels are singing. Um, the bottom half of that picture is just gore. (laughs) (laughs) They don't shake crap. You wouldn't want want one of those... In the future, those pictures, you'll be able to sniff them and... no, no, they crop the, I only want the top half of the picture, okay, fair enough. And the other picture I want is parents watching their child as a bride or groom giving a speech. 
And their faces are like, oh, they're leaving. And those are the two pictures. You know, that we've done it. No, we're not in it. No, but more like we've done it. Look at them. I'm so proud of them or something. Or seeing them at a graduation or something. But they're the moments I want. And there's lots of bits in between. But in other ways, I feel like, God, I'm missing out on one of life's biggest things. And sometimes I think when I'm old, I'm going to regret it. Because I tell you what, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival will not come and visit you in an old person's home. (laughs) And if it did, it would be fucking annoying with all its jugglers and just (laughs) flyers. Welcome to the stage, Jess Foster Q. Yeah, I've spawned. Um, (laughs) I'm not going to assume that means we've got anything in common. Those others of us here who have, have made that mistake already. I think (laughs) think I'm constantly being thrown into situations. My one is just over a year and a half old. And um, I'm constantly being put into situations now with strangers where the assumption is because we've all heaved out children that um, will have a similar sense of humour. And that's not the case, is it? But what better way than humour to try and break the ice in these claggy situations like play groups and singing groups. I took my son to a play group and I, he was kicking off, screaming, shouting, and I parked his buggy next to another toddler in a buggy that was similarly screaming and shouting and it's mum and I locked eyes and it was a nice moment it was like oh yeah both had a long morning (laughs) got your back I got your back too it was nice it was like oh I was like I think I'm about to meet a friend um (laughs) and she went oh she's teething it's always teething isn't it and I went mine's got a horrible personality She didn't laugh. Um, she looked like she was going to cry. Um, I found motherhood revelatory so far in a sense that I thought the scariest bit would be physically having the child. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was fucking horrific. Um, I'm not going to talk about that now. We haven't got time and this isn't stand-up horror. Um, I thought the scary bit would be having the kid. Actually, it's once it's out. I don't know if you've ever met a freshly hatched one, but... Initially, when they first get here, they're only about that big. And then um, once it's out, it's normally furious. <laughs> and then the hospital, they just check really that you've got a hat on it and then they tell you to go home. <laughs> and it, you would not believe the pressure that you're under to keep it alive. <laughs> that is rationally terrifying. That is totally reasonable, I think, to find that terrifying, isn't it? So I spent the first weeks, and if I'm honest, months of my son's life flipping between the most intense love, but also horror that I've ever known. And the love, too. It wasn't like a little fuzzy extra love all of the time. It's really intense, unmanageable slaps and punches when you're not expecting it of love. So an honest conversation in the early weeks would have been like, oh, when your face just flickered then with what was definitely a guff but looked a little bit like a smile. I felt like I was going to puke on my own heart for a minute. <laughs> Can't say it was pleasant, but it was definitely full on. <laughs> Every time you're asleep for longer than an hour, I worry that you're dead. When your little hand just gripped my finger then with one of our most ancient, ancestral, most base animal reflexes. I thought I was coming up on NBMA. Uh, (laughs) It's just how I feel about life sometimes for a few seconds now. 
when I'm walking down the street with you in this sling, I used to cross over and stroke that cat, but now I don't even look at it. I just give it the side eye and think, careful, it could have a gun. Tiny baby, I love you so much. I love you so much, even though I long not to be with you sometimes. The second that I'm not with you, I feel like I'm missing a limb. Fuck. I've just realised that this is forever. (laughs) Um. Also revelatory, having a kid has changed my relationship with my mum. She's a new grandparent. I didn't realise that when you become a grandparent, you go into a sort of biological PR overdrive. (laughs) for that kid. I mean, sometimes I do worry that she loves him more than me. Um, She says she thinks it's fine to do this. People go, oh, Nicky, how's your grandson? And they don't really care. They're going, oh, oh, Nicky, how's your grandson? She'll go, oh, he's fine. He's actually very advanced. (laughs) That's no way to talk to people. Also, no offence to him, but he's not. (laughs) (laughs) Borderline cretin. Um, I... I worry she's seeing things I'm not seeing. It's like we're talking about a different... He was there just a few weeks ago, just in his nappy, stood at the bath going... And she went, he said, thank you. (laughs) Did he? So I didn't catch the nuance if he did. When he was so tiny, honestly, he was sat there, too small to even sit up by himself. He was curled up on a cushion like a prawn. Right. <laughs> so much liquid coming out of his face he'd given himself eczema of the neck <laughs> as usual looking at a light bulb like that <laughs> and my mum looked at that and went I think it's going to be really musical <laughs> do you reckon I just wish she'd think about her language. It's 2017. We're the most technologically advanced age we've ever had. If you describe someone, a new person, as very advanced, some people are going to come around taking you on your word there, aren't they? They're going to expect to meet a creature that is actually very advanced. Maybe like a genderless, hairless empath. Maybe he's already learnt Russian twice. Maybe he understands how to play any other than the very last round of Only Connect. That's never worked before here. Thank you. Maybe he's got a comprehensive and refreshingly not-secret plan of how the fuck we do execute Brexit. (laughs) Maybe he's physically advanced. Maybe he's got sort of adamantium bat wings or, like, legs that can transform up and become the hull of a speedboat. Or, like, maybe he can sneeze mace. Or maybe, instead of a bum hole, he's got a 3D printer. Or maybe, (laughs) at the very least, you'd expect that his fingertips are also pens. (laughs) No, it turns out what my mum meant by very advanced is got quite a strong neck. Not compared to a bull, just compared to younger and smaller babies. <laughs> and this is the last thing I'll tell you. So he's a year and a half and he's just started walking. He couldn't be asked for ages with walking. I mean, if you go crawling everywhere and no one's judging you, why would you ever learn? Um, and he started walking after I gave him chocolate to try for the first time. I don't know if you've seen a person try chocolate for the first time. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> It's a full emotional spectrum. It's basically like a one-man performance of Planet Earth 3. It was pretty glorious. And I got him out of the high chair and put him down. And he just walked for the first time ever, just like... 
I think this for audio. But the first image you have of babies walking for the first time is quite sort of a shit-faced adult, basically, isn't it? All toddery. No, smashed it. I just put him down and he just walked. Just walked like he'd always known how for a minute and a half. So I filmed it, obviously. Sent it around to all my friends and family. And one of my more honest friends said, oh, so the motivation he'd been waiting for all this time was chocolate. It's definitely your son. <laughs> Fair point. So next week I'm going to give him a glass of Malbec and a small reefer. Um, <laughs> Hoping he'll run a marathon. Thank you. So my challenge, well, I was going to, I said to Jess, I'm going to mind your baby for a whole day just to see what that's like, you know, to sort of <laughs> get it. And then... Your challenge. I had a few writing deadlines on. So the next time I saw her, I said, can I mind your baby for an hour? And she <laughs> laughed and went, I knew it wouldn't be a whole day. And then, then we sort of messaged back and forth. And she said, well, I can bring him this morning to London Bridge. Like, this was last night. She said, I'll bring him to London Bridge at I'll 10 o'clock. I'll bring him to Like, you. literally, I'll meet you under a bridge for an hour with your, at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. And I was just like, and then I, I was going to do it. And then I remembered I'd organised a blow dry. So instead of minding a baby for a day, I had to blow dry. And I think we can all agree it was worth it, I think. But I did also, at the same time, I took my godchildren to see a show. I'm a very good godmother. If you want a good godmother or a good godfather, people without children are the best because we have disposable income and we don't hate children. We don't, we don't have things for... Like, I want to go and see... Annie, and I can't just go on my own. It's a bit weird. So I start looking around for children. I've actually co-opted these children who I call my cod children, because they like godchildren, but not really, to come to shows with me that I want to see. And those moments are wonderful. And I went with them, and they're magical faces, you know, looking at the... These are the best bits that parents outsource to people like me. I don't understand it. And it's great, but it is a bit relentless if you take them for tea as well, because they spill things and... By the end of it, you are a bit ready for it to be over. Yeah. So that you also, can get back to your very wisely. If you're taking them to a show, that's good, isn't it? Because you know... Oh, yeah. It's like these, but you don't have to actually talk to each other. You can just watch it. That's true. That was my sort of two-pronged challenge. It wasn't a great one, but to be honest, I was a nanny for years. I get it. I get it. It's hard and it's also amazing. I'm still super close to my nanny children, sort of like they're my own because I haven't had any of my own. It's like a halfy-halfy situation where I'm not a mother, and that's key, because then they want to talk to you about sex and drugs. So it's like a mother with That's whom... nice. It is really nice. Mind. It's really nice. I mean, not that I ring them to talk about sex and drugs. I've made that sound wrong. Um, Start. That would be cool, I think. Well, to just to... Yeah, to like fill that boundary Yeah, gap. it's honestly, if you've got a grown-up in their life who knows them when they're small but adores them all the way through, it is a great thing because when they hate you, they'll come to that other grown-up and say, I've got a horrible coke addiction. Now... <laughs> If you would, please, a round of applause. Welcome to the stage, the wonderful Deborah Francis White. So I've tried to have babies. I, I mean, I've done all of the things, I've all of the all of the normal things. I haven't sort of, you know, had barbed wire here with a foreskin of a goat in it or anything like that. It's just sort of like the normal things, like ejaculation, IUI, IVF. 
and uh, that didn't work. And I go back and forth of, should I try? Because my life's really good like it is, and I sort of go off the idea of having a baby, then I think I've got to have one, and no, I shouldn't have one. And, you know, I just go back and forth. And my friends always say to me when I talk about this, well, there's never a good time to have a baby, so do it now. (laughs) That's a terrible, terrible argument. There's never a good time to hit yourself in the face with a hammer. Do it now. <laughs> Do it now. No one, they, no one says that about anything good, ever. They don't say it about, there's never a good time to have a beachfront holiday. Do it now. They don't say that. Why are they trying to get you to do it? And I think the reason is, is sometimes at like one o'clock in the morning in a dark, drunken bar, I'll be out with a girlfriend who's got babies, got children, and just sort of on the fifth mojito or something, she'll just start saying, of course I love Wilhelmina. I do love her. Of course I wouldn't wish her away. I would not. I would not wish her away. No, I wouldn't wish her... Not for a minute. I mean, what kind of monster would wish her own child away? But it was better, it was better before. I mean, my life was better before. Objectively, it was better before. I mean, I'm just if you don't really want babies, just to let... It was better before. But I love her. I love her so much. And I just, I mean, and the thing is, there are moments of great joy. I mean, great great joy you'll never understand if you don't have a baby. Moments of great joy, fleeting moments. I mean, (laughs) fucking fleeting moments of great joy that you will never understand. Hours of horror. (laughs) Days, weeks, months of horror. But fleeting moments of joy and love that you will never understand. But I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way. It was better before, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, it was better before. I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't not, I mean, if I had my time ever again, I wouldn't not have her. I mean, Harry, on the other hand, he's a different story. I wouldn't have him again in a fucking heartbeat. He's ruined all of our lives. I saw a a documentary a few years ago about heroin addicts. And um, it's a similar rhetoric. It's like, but yeah, but the highs. But the highs are so amazing. I mean, obviously my life was better before the smack. But, I mean, do I look 20 years older than I am? Yes. Have I slept more than two hours in a row for the last eight years? No. But the highs, until you've become fully addicted to heroin, you will never understand the fleeting moments of love. And I think... Probably the reason for this is the relationship that you have with a child, which is unique. This is something I want to read to you. It's a conversation that you would have with your therapist if you left the word child out of the conversation. He got very angry in the supermarket and screamed at me in front of everyone. (laughs) Why? He was eating grapes out of the trolley. And I told him we needed to pay for them first. How did he respond? By sitting on the floor of the supermarket and saying he wouldn't move. Is he on medication? No, I tried to give him something the doctor prescribed and he spat it out onto the floor. This morning he bit me. He bit you? Has he done this before? He just started this week. How long have you been in the relationship? Three years. And he just started biting you this week. Yes. Why? I was making him breakfast. And first he said there was too much milk in his cereal. And then I tried to fix it and he said there was too much cereal in his milk. And he bit you in response. Yes. 
do you have anywhere to stay? I think you should go home and pack a bag. Occasionally, he leaves body parts under his pillow. Body parts? Well, teeth. Why? He goes to sleep. And I have to stay up late. And then quietly remove them. And replace them with money. Can you tell me more about this? We have co-constructed a fiction that the money is being left by an invisible intruder. But I'm fairly sure he knows it's me. (laughs) Who is this fictionalised intruder that you pretend to be? Sometimes a supernatural being who leaves cash, once a year an old man who leaves gifts. (laughs) An old man. Yes, that's his (laughs) favourite. And he knows it's you. Yes, but I must never say it isn't. So he doesn't thank you for the gifts? No. Does he ever pretend to be the generous intruder? Oh no, it's always me who leaves the gifts. He always takes them, but he'd be devastated if I admitted it was me. I can't stop, he's expecting it. You must stop. Once a year, we pretend I'm an animal who breaks into the house at night. What kind of animal? A rabbit. (laughs) A rabbit. He leaves me a carrot. What does the rabbit bring? He likes the rabbit to bring him smaller chocolate rabbits for him to eat in front of me. First he eats the ears and then the tail in front of me all the time pretending he does not know I am the rabbit. (laughs) He smears the chocolate over his face. He leaves what he does not want all over the floor for me to clean up. There is a safe house 10 miles from here. I'll drive you there now. You must never go back to that place. Thank you very much. Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah Francis-White from The Guilty Feminist, briefly interrupting The Guilty Feminist to say hello. On Sunday, October the 15th, we will be in Melbourne. We're doing a Guilty Feminist event at the Wheeler Centre Festival of Questions. It's $20 to get in, and it's basically an episode of The Guilty Feminist with some extra whistles and bells. Don't miss it if you're in Melbourne. It will be Sunday, October the 15th, and you can get tickets by going to wheelercentre.com. If you are in Sydney, the first three shows have sold out, so we've added an extra one at 5pm on Saturday, October 21st. Uh, That's the only show now that's going to be available in Sydney, Saturday, October 21st at 5pm. Brisbane sold out, but we have added an extra date in Auckland on Sunday, the 29th of October at 5pm. Now, I have a request this week, Guilty Feminists, and I'm really, really hoping you can help. Over 137 thousand women and girls in England and Wales today are victims of female genital mutilation. It has devastating lifelong physical and psychological impacts and many vulnerable women have no access to support services. The Dahlia Project 
that you've heard about quite a few times on this podcast, if you're a regular listener, from the wonderful Leila Hussein, provides safe and accessible specialist counselling services for women affected by FGM. To put one woman through a full course of group counselling sessions costs £180. This not only helps the individual work through the physical and psychological impacts of the violence, it helps break the cycle of abuse in families and communities. We are looking for 111 feminists who are each in a position to pay for one woman's treatment at £180. Now, I know for a lot of people, that's a great deal of money, more than you've got. So I'm hoping to find a network of women who will reach out to others who can each afford to sponsor one FGM survivor. If you can, you will know exactly where that money is going. If that's way too much for you, £50 pays for childcare, so one woman can attend. Or if you live in the UK, we would love you to donate your first Jane Austen £10 note in our hashtag Jane for Dahlia, hashtag first tenor drive. Otherwise, any other amount in any other currency is extremely welcome. We are on a deadline to keep the Dahlia project open. It's the only sort of counseling service like this in Europe, and it will have to close if we can't raise the funds. If you can help in any way, from £10 to sponsoring one course of treatment for one woman at £180, please go to guiltyfeminist.com forward slash Dahlia project. Dahlia spelt D-A-H-L-I-A. So that's guiltyfeminist.com forward slash D-A-H-L-I-A project. Thank you so much for any help you can give. We really appreciate it. Now back to the podcast. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Would you like to meet our guests? Um, They are our very, very special guests. Rebecca Staten is a phenomenal actress. You will know her off lots of television shows, but one that's very relevant today is the wonderful Raised by Wolves, about a very specific sort of mother. And she was also in Pulling with Sharon Horgan, who is our other guest, who wrote The Wonderful Pulling, and also Catastrophe, and more recently now Motherland. So please put your hands together for the extremely talented, delightful and charming Rebecca Staten and Sharon Horgan! looking after her baby. Um, This is a fantastic late motherhood entrance. She is literally buttoning up her top. Hello, darling. 
Hello. Were you just buttoning up your top from breastfeeding right there? I was. This is the working mother, isn't it? This is a shining example of working motherhood. So you're both mothers. You're quite a new mother. Yes. Eight months? Eight months. And you're a seasoned professional. Yes. I have a 13-year-old who's in the audience. Yeah. And, uh, and an eight-year-old, both girls. <laughs> so you've done it for ages. Yes. Firstly, does it get easier? Uh, <laughs> uh, Bearing in mind the 13-year-old's yeah. in the audience. I really wish uh, my 13-year-old wasn't in the audience. Um, it does... <laughs> Yes, I guess in some ways it gets easier, but then, you know, a whole load of new challenges appear. You know, having a teenage daughter is uh, yeah. a very wonderful experience. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's, uh, there's lots of extra things to worry about. When they're little, it really is just keeping them alive. alive. I agree. It's mainly that. Yeah. But then you know, they for start me, to ask when, for stuff. when you have the baby, I knew it would be a day. I kept saying to myself, it's a day. It's actually three days. <laughs> it's a day. Just get through it. I just nobody talks about that first shit enough. <laughs> <laughs> that first shit is way worse than having a baby. Yeah. I mean, do you what, use the one a... you have? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh, your oh, my first oh, shit oh. after having that baby needs to be talked about tonight because I think that is feminism. Yeah. Feminism yes. is saying. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks for saying he's cute. He is. It's a bit like you're telling me I'm cute. But my bumhole <laughs> has been through so much. <laughs> I mean, they don't... When you leave the hospital, they give you a hat. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. But they don't give you blue gloves, do they? No. Nope. <laughs> and you need them. <laughs> now, you might say too much information, but that's motherhood, oversharing. <laughs> I find scatology very difficult to talk to. I'm very squeamish. Oh, and sorry. I notice... No, no, I'm fine with this. Okay. But I notice that mothers, when they're together, just talk about, like, defecation all the time. They've always like, oh, probably got a bit of shit on you for a couple of years. I find somewhere. it awkward. I'm like, I'm like... And it's just, I know it's my phobia. But everyone says, oh, well, if you have a baby, though, you will talk like that because everybody does. Yeah. Do, do you... Well, I think... I don't know. My daughter came into the world at the same time as I, you know, loosened my bowels. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it, a, it's always there. Yeah, you can't... <laughs> stays, that kind of thing stays, stays yeah. with you. It, yeah. And also, I'd had the epidural and it had come out, so they gave me another epidural. And then, weirdly, they started following my birth plan when he was out. So they, like, no. put him onto me. And I, went, <laughs> I looked at my husband and I went... I can't hold him because I can't feel my arms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought was just Wait, when you have two, oh. you can't feel nothing. So I'm like, you better hold it. Nice, though. Really yeah. nice. Yeah. Great for me. But what I was going to say was, look uh, down, I thought, is that chocolate brownie? Oh, Rebecca! Oh. <laughs> Come on! I know, but it's all out there when you've had it. Yeah. yeah. So I suppose in that way, that is a sort of uh, acceptance of self and acceptance of humanity, that women are human and they do go to the loo and they do, you know, <laughs> literally shit, shit the bed. <laughs> literally shit the bed. Yeah. Sharon, one thing I was thinking of, because I was sort of watching Old Pulling, and I thought Pulling was a very feminist show in a way. It was like, I think it was a bridge between that lad culture and the sort of fourth wave of feminism that's come in now where everybody's going, yeah, fuck this. Because pulling was really about why do we have to put up with this stuff as women? And it felt like it sort of led us into this place and now catastrophe is really, like, empowered. Do you feel being a mother, all of you, do you feel it makes you more feminist? Does it make you more aware or do you not have time to sort of think about it as much? I guess it does. I mean, it's, I think it especially does if you have 
daughters because it's, you know, it's not just about you. It's about what you're going to teach them and what you want them to learn from you and what skills you're going to give them to go out into the world. But motherhood in general, does it make you feel like that? I think you feel more powerful, I yeah. guess. You know, you've got to make a buck and you've got to keep and things alive. And another responsibility, I suppose. But, um, is there something about the alien nature of inventing a human and having it climb out of your body that makes you think, I am life? Like, uh, yeah. um, <laughs> I think the decision to do it as well is yeah. quite a big thing. You know, yeah. I was um, not a super young mum, but I was like, I think I was 32 when I found out I was pregnant. And I remember um, I hadn't been with my husband for very long, so it was a bit of a, a, a nerve-wracking thing. But I is remember... Is the story of catastrophe? Yeah, actually, yeah. My whole life is the... <laughs> <laughs> but um, I remember doing this ridiculous thing, which was... Uh, I mean, first of all, I told my husband that I was pregnant, and he said, uh, oh, I don't think I'm ready for a baby. And I went, oh, that's great. Oh, that's good stuff. That's a good start. Um, but I think he was, he was just being provocative. Um, but, I, but I remember calling my agent. And when I think about it now, it seems the most insane thing because it's not like I was doing anything interesting with my career at that time. I was pranking celebrities in a sketch show. So it was like, <laughs> should I keep pranking celebrities or should I bring life into the world? But just that thing of yeah. like, am I going to be able to continue doing what I'm doing? And sort of balancing that out and making that choice feels like... I guess a, a kind of a feminist, feminist act. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Does it make you feel guilty when you're at work because you're not with your child, and when you're with your child, you feel guilty they're not working more? Or do you sort of come to a place with that where you go, "I'm good enough. I'm balancing it all." I never feel comfortable with it ever. Mm. No, it's a no. journey. But I don't not accept work. I mean, I just. Mm. I mean, it's a terrible kind of scenario because you beat yourself up, and it's not changing anything. All it's doing is making you feel bad. And, and I guess when you are there, it makes you really up your game. And, you know, as soon as I, if I've been away, like if I've traveled to work and I come home, I'm just like, I just get down on the floor and I'm like, get on my back. I will force you ride you around this room. For, Even though you know. she's 13. <laughs> well, no, not anymore. Um, I don't know. You just, I, you I, bring your A game. I think that's right, though, because I think you could just be bored and relentlessly with these people and they could pick up on your dissatisfaction and in a very real way that is not as good as shorter time with them but that time being full of love and energy and engagement yeah but Deborah I've got to say this I had so many friends get in touch like week two of having the baby going if you need to get away from the baby and get down the <laughs> if you need a break from the baby just ring us I was like I don't want a break from the baby the yeah. baby's cool I want to hang yeah. with the baby. And then what about week six, though? No. <laughs> like, that's been the shock for me. I am very career-driven. I've loved my career. But motherhood has taken me by surprise because, yeah, footwork. Yeah. Oh. That's really nice. That's really nice. Yeah. And if my agent's listening, I don't mean that. Yeah. <laughs> I think you do little things to up your game. Like you were saying about not turning on your phone when you're... Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you didn't go through with it <laughs> I'm good I am going to try you do try and introduce things like that into your life to sort yeah. of make you a more present parent like I decided I, I didn't want to uh, like I like to drink wine in the evening just to relax 
Um, and not because I'm topping up any sort of alcohol levels that are in my bloodstream all the time. But uh, And I thought, I don't know if I want my girls seeing me, you know, having to pour myself a glass of wine. So, like, associating their time with me as being a difficult one. So I just started drinking it from a mug. And, and, and no, one, no one knows. I think this well makes you... Um... <laughs> I wish it wasn't true. <laughs> a bit more focused about what work you will take I think yeah. before I had my baby I was very much like I'm not taking any time off I'm not going to want any time off and the yeah. same thing was like oh god and I think if I have had another one I would take a long time off because I kind of look back now and go what was I thinking jumping yeah. straight but you know you do what you're going to do you just learn from yeah, you trying just whatever you try stuff. each time uh, can I say as a non-child person my mother worked she was an artist and she painted. And a lot of my friends' mothers did not work when I was growing up. And I was so proud of her. I remember always, I'd go to her art exhibitions and I used to be like, that's my mum. And I remember her winning things and selling. I'd see the little red stickers go up and she'd sell things. And I'd be so proud. And I always imagined myself with a career. I never imagined myself married with children. I don't know why. I just, you know, my parents, you know, we stayed together and we had a, a happy family and there were three kids and a dog and a cat and, a, you know, all of that. So I think the work that you do that they can see and be proud of is very valuable to them. And I think girls as well as boys, because boys with working mothers often have great respect for women in the workplace. Not to say that boys who have not... No, there are plenty of women who want to stay home with their children, and that is so valid and so yeah. important and so amazing. I'm not undermining it. But I think there is something to be said for letting go of that guilt as much as is humanly possible because there, it is also doing something very valuable. I agree, but I do think it's about your kids seeing that you're happy. And if you're happy not working, don't do it. And if, it, you know, if it's something you need and it's a drive you have and that makes you happy, then I just think it's really important that they see a contented, you know, mother. No, you're right, you're right, absolutely. You've got to go to work to earn of the money. Of course, to put it's just, over, yeah. absolutely. I just mean for, I always hate the idea that any woman would feel like lesser for not working. If they've chosen to be a stay-at-home mom, yeah, I just some, never I, like the feeling that that might sort of Yeah, some women do get, well, I know women who have stayed home with their children and they get lots of, you know, well, when are you going to start working? And they're like, well, this is what I do. And so we need to say both of those things. One is work is incredibly valid. When you're staying at home working with your children, it is work to stay home and look after your children. And actually, I said F work. And that's just how I feel, but I still have to pay the mortgage. So, of course, I went back to work when he was five days old. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So... Eight eight days old for my... First one. I mean, it's ridiculous as that sounds. And I read in the New York Times that motherhood means that we do the same amount of hours that our friends who aren't mums do, but we get paid less because people think we need the work more because of the baby. Now, that is just ghastly. But the point is, I can sense that already, that there is a shift and a change in dialogue since you've become a mum, and that shouldn't exist. Neither should it the other way. Mm. You know, mm. I really feel passionately that if I hadn't had children, I would still be a three-dimensional human being with a lot to offer the world. And I would still mother in my own way, be it looking after friends or fur babies. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. we all can mother without having children. Mm. And I feel, yeah, I just want to say that. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> 
I remember Tina Fey, uh, she was doing a movie with Steve Carell called Date Night, and the press kept saying, but how do you do it all when you've yeah. got children? And she would just say, ask him that. Mm-hmm. He's got yeah. children. The same age. Why are you not asking yeah. him that? And they'd be like, well, he's a man. Of course he's going to work. Mm-hmm. And I think the comment from the audience, which is some people have to work, is absolutely right. And most if you people. don't, most people have to work. But if you don't have to, it is sometimes seen as a judgment. Then why are you? Why are you working, Tina Fey, when you should be at home with a child on each breast? But everyone's going, look at Steve Carell, what a great dad. He's out bringing home the bacon, and he probably has even changed upward of four nappies. <laughs> yeah. He babysits his kids, even. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You see that a lot. Are your partners often rewarded for holding their own children? <laughs> yeah. I think my husband's rewarded when I see him walking down the street and these really sexy girls are looking at this gorgeous baby and this good-looking guy, they're like, hi. <laughs> yeah. Do you that? get more come-ons now you've got a baby from men? No, I always had a lot. <laughs> uh, so Q&A from the audience. Does anyone have a question? Yes, one here? Oh, yeah. I was just going to ask you about, as a mum, when you choose to go back to work or when you need to go back to work, what I found is that the jobs are really shit. So you're in a career for so long and you get to a certain point. Yeah. And then maybe you take some time out because you've got several kids or whatever, because yeah. you need to. Yeah. And then when, you ch- when, it, when it's time to go back into work, you can't rejoin yeah. at the same point that you left. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a lot of jobs that are poorly paid in relation to what you used to sort of command. Yeah. And the jobs themselves are quite low-skilled. So I think there's a lot of mums I know won't go back to work because there's nothing out there that they like and they can't justify paying for childcare because oh, the jobs don't pay enough. You know, you do know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we I could know, do a whole bonkers. night about childcare, yeah. couldn't we? Yeah. You know, that we are paying other women, hopefully well, to look after our children. Um, Often not, I think. But do you know what? Like, some of the fees are extraordinary. Yeah. For extraordinary. nurseries. But the wages aren't. The fees are, but the wages aren't. Yeah. No, it, it, it's a nightmare. And the thing about being nervous about... I mean, I think that one of the reasons why I went back to work very quickly is because I was really anxious that time would pass and people would no longer be interested in what I did or, you know, they would have forgotten me or what. And you have this sort of low-level panic that even if you're not ready to go back to work and even if it's not the right time or, you know... Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a shit job compared you know, to what you um, want to be doing. You kind of, you kind of sort of have this low-level panic and, and you kind of have to go with it because you're, it's, it's too nerve-wracking otherwise. You kind of don't... You suddenly feel like you're not a relevant person, which is terrible. I feel like one of the big issues is childcare because if women had access, like in some Scandinavian countries, childcare is free up until the child is ready to go to school. So it's like like school is free here. You can basically have free childcare yeah. from zero to five, but they're really nice sort of playgroups and creches and things where they're doing constructive, interesting things. I think work-wise and childcare-wise, there's room for, I mean full Scandi heaven but there's also room for a middle ground where we just get a bit more flexible like and understand that people are coming back with no less skills but they might need more flexible hours and any childcare arrangements other than you know basically live in nanny like my kids at the scuzziest nursery (laughs) I hope they're not listening because they're the only place where they'll let me ring up 
and say, can you come in for four hours tomorrow at the last yeah. minute? There's no yeah. flexibility. It's so hard to find a nursery that's got any flexibility. And I'm in an area where there's loads of them. And the people doing it need to be being paid so much more. Than and also employers need to understand the value of the skills that you've gained by child rearing and in finance they really get it what they've said to me is oh they're way better because they come back they've had three years of negotiating with a toddler (laughs) and that is fucking so much better than anything they would have learnt here they become these amazing negotiators but also they're much more organised because they're like I've got to be out the door at 5.30 so I prioritise anything urgent anything important is done and I don't just go on Facebook and then go oh I'll get round to it oh well I can always stay till 9 o'clock so they find that mothers actually often are the best employees that they can possibly get and I think when more industries work this out then the world will be a better place do we have any other questions person put her CV in saying full-time mum was her job description and the men in the office kicked off and said that's not a proper job and it went on LinkedIn and they were all basically being snarky about that and one man's comment got a thousand likes. Full-time mother, is that a proper job, Jess Foster Q? Yeah. It's not only a proper job, it's the hardest job. When I go to work, that's my time off, you know? I mean, doing it well and staying sane and bringing up sort of balanced kids, I mean... I hope I managed to pull it off, but it's, yeah. But that is it's the hard. statement, I go to work for a break. Yeah, entirely. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, oh no, no, can you do your speech? Yes. Yeah, I've asked Rebecca to do the speech that she did in Dancers, in, not Dancers, Dancers with, with Wolves, wolves. <laughs> Raised by Wolves. No, I'm doing the speech from Dancers with Wolves. Okay. Right, you um, if you didn't see it, I play a mum with many, many children from Wolverhampton. That's the voice you're going to hear. Let me take you through the job description for motherhood. Year one, five hours a day shoving a creature resembling an enraged otter into a jumpsuit. (laughs) Years two and three, the creature now appears to be a lemming that repeatedly tries to throw itself down the stairs. (laughs) Years four to twelve, shouting, stomping, knits. 13 to 16, wet towels, self-pity, desperate pleas for the latest iPhone. 16 onwards, vast financial outlay, unreturned calls to the mobile phone, you bought the frigger and pregnancy scares in a pound shop toilet. (laughs) You're going to learn what having a child entails, which is spending most of your time away from them, engaged in gruelling minimum wage labour while not smoking. (laughs) That's fantastic. That was written by Catelyn Moran and Moran. Yeah, uh, we said that at the same time, but the reverse. Catelyn <laughs> and Catelyn and Carolyn Moran. Catelyn Carolyn Moran. Catelyn. Yeah. And Carolyn Moran. Brilliant. Have you got anything to plug, Sharon? Anything coming up on the telly? 
Well, we start filming Motherland, the series, um, which is um, co-written with Holly Walsh and Graham Linehan and Helen Linehan, who's in the audience down there. Woo! Um, we start filming that in July, but I don't know when it's coming out. I mean, maybe the autumn? Yeah, it's coming out in the autumn. I'm very excited about it. <laughs> there was a pilot on it. I absolutely loved it. She's trying to fob her children off onto her mother, who's sort of hiding behind a sofa, and she's on the phone to her husband, and she says, I just want my children to be raised like I was, by my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything to plug? I have nothing to plug. <laughs> Watch oh, up. I have, I have. Motherhood, do it. Don't wait. Oh, there's never a good time. Do it now, do it now. There's never a good time. Jessica Foster Q, what would you like to plug? My Twitter's at Jessica Foster Q, and I'm putting a new show together at the moment for the Edinburgh Fringe, and it is called The Silence of the Nans. And please may you come. I do another show called Global Pillage, which is a comedy panel show. Globalpillage.net. Give it a listen or come along. Follow The Guilty Feminist on Twitter at GuiltFemPod. Check out our Instagram, instagram.com forward slash The Guilty Feminist. Like our Facebook page, sign up to our mailing list to get notified as soon as a new episode is released. And please go to iTunes and rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people find the podcast. And give it five stars. Okay, that has been our motherhood episode of The Guilty Feminist. Um, Please welcome back on the stage the B.I.G. Gospel Choir. Try to hurt me with your 
I'm just going to take a bit again because I've realised it's not Netflix, it's Hulu, Handmaid's Tale. And I also don't What's want Hulu. Hulu is who makes the show. And I've said it's a Netflix show. And I don't want Hulu to be pissed off with me because I want them to make my show. <laughs> Hulu? I've never heard of Hulu. Surely you'd rather you, that Netflix make your things. <laughs> don't say that. They're, no, Hulu are really good. Tom, cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> I like Hula Hoops too. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sophie Hagen. You may know me from such things as co-hosting episode 1 to 29 of The Guilty Feminist. 
I'm just here to let you know that I'm on tour of the UK and Denmark with my brand new stand-up show Dead Baby Frog, which is about emotional abuse. My whole tour is anxiety safe, it has gender-neutral toilets and disabled access all around. Go to sophiehagen.com to find out what I mean by that, to find out where I'll be and to get tickets. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter. And why not listen to my new project, The Made of Human Podcast.